Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are continuing our interview with Dr. Cheryl King. Um, And for me, fact-checking has just become pretty much second nature. Before I repeat anything on social media or any other electronic source, I will fact-check it. And it's relatively easy once you do it long enough, you can start seeing patterns. Um, Of course, knowledge for the, the equine science people, knowledge is the first thing that you would... Um, fall back on. If something that you read sounds odd, if it, if it touches your heartstrings almost immediately, <laughs> chances are it could be wrong and you need to check. Um, yeah. And one of the simplest things is to just automatically, when you're on the internet, check the URL. If you look at the domain extensions at the end, the dots after, if it says dot, and then it, that domain extension is odd, dot infonet, dot offer, any of those kind of things, instead of dot com, dot org, dot edu, then you should automatically be skeptical of those particular websites um, and those particular posts. And as far as sources go, it's pretty easy to fact check things on the science side. The, the fact checker that I use most often, not exclusively, but most often is Google Scholar, not Google, Google Scholar, which will give you the scientific papers related to that particular topic. So all you have to do is highlight a, a particular part of the article or the post that you're reading and plug that into Google Scholar. And it will give you, if there is research associated with that, the various pieces of research. Um, yes, that will be technical. And yes, when you click on any one of those pieces of research, sometimes the jargon is so scientific that it's hard to read. But if you go to the abstract, the, the summary at the very beginning, usually that will tell you everything you need to know. And that's usually pretty easy to digest. And, and when you get to non-technical social media stuff, the fact-checking sites that I use, and I always use at least two or three of these rather than just one, is like factcheck.org, um, politifact.org, Snopes, eh, sometimes, Truth or Fiction. There's a lot of different ones. Um, but just... If you don't automatically accept what you see at face value, I think you will be a better, more informed person in general and a much better informed horse person in particular. Those are some good um, 
you know, the taking and copying and paste the section of a paper. That's, I never thought to do that before. I'll usually put in the search what the topic is, but that's a great idea and then bring up those papers. So um, that's, those are some good tips. Okay, so what area are you ladies most interested in or your listeners most interested in? And I'll see if I can rummage through this, this um, cobwebby old brain of mine and come up with some <laughs> of the myths that I know that are associated with it. I know that a lot of them, um, the feeding and nutrition part of it, because so many of our listeners have requested supplementation uh, episodes, and it seems to me they don't necessarily feed according to the feed tags, but they end up <laughs> yeah. adding like 10 different supplements to a small amount of grain or concentrate. Mm -hmm. And that I think can be a real problem because whereas some of us can do ration balancing, sometimes you're not so you're not certain what that individual horse is actually capable of absorbing. Mm -hmm. So you're just kind of making a crapshoot of putting everything in there and hoping it all works out. So I think that's the problem I see most horse owners having is um, feeding way too many different feedstuffs. What do you mm -hmm. think, Kate? What's one you would pick out? I would agree. I would say my favorite part of the horse to talk about is the digestive system, because I just think it's fascinating and such a powerhouse. But the thing that I notice is just the lack of attention to measurements and people using their hands to measure how much feed a horse needs to get, like oh, I'll do three scoops at my hands and that's what, <laughs> yeah. that's an accurate amount <laughs> yes. for this feed. So, or even I've seen people using like saucepans and like lids of things. It, it never ceases to amaze me the ingenuity in what we can scoop up some feeds with to measure it um quote unquote because there's really very little measuring happening at all true yeah um i would say okay if i distill all of that down because we could go on for hours and hours as far as that that particular part of the equation goes um most gut issues most nutritional issues with horses if you distill it down, it comes down to lifestyle. And if what your goal is, is to provide the healthiest um, nutritional platform for a horse, to always keep in mind that they are a trickle feeder that is designed to eat nearly around the clock, to eat low density as far as nutrients, um, constantly. And if you can keep that in mind, it's pretty much the opposite of what humans do. So it's hard for us to keep that in mind and keep the idea of forage first. That's what a horse evolved to eat and to minimize all of the extras. Um, you would have a much healthier animal. Uh, 
the the last best horse practices which just got over in october i was the keynote speaker and and management and of gut troubles in horses was what we were talking about and i took every part of the horse's digestive system and started talking about the troubles that are associated with each part of that digestive system and almost all of them are related to the way humans manage the horses rather than the horses themselves. So yes, the setup or their digestive system, the bass backwards way that it's kind of set up <laughs> works for them in, in evolutionary terms, but as far as domesticated terms, it can get us into a whole heck of a lot of trouble. So, yeah. and, and I agree, you know, um, when you are feeding a horse more than just forage, when you're trying to balance rations and when you, particularly when you're starting to add concentrates, uh, it's really important to know exactly what it is that you're putting in there and the exact proportions. And those proportions are not by volume, they're by weight. Yeah. Because corn weighs a whole lot more than oats do. So. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, again, going back to the, the idea of the three P's, when you're talking about supplements, there's profit motive there. Mm -hmm. So as a matter of fact, there, I did do a, a Google um, search on supplements and just the very first page of Google as far as, oh, what was it? Horse nutritional supplements, I Googled, okay? Google page one. There were 102 that came up on that one page, 102 supplements. And there, I can't tell you how many pages. There were <laughs> almost uncountable number of pages. Okay, out of those 102, I went through each and every one of them and circled the ones that were from reputable sources that I knew you want to take a guess out of 102, how many of those posts were from reputable sources? My guess is going to be low. And if I'm right, it's going to upset me. But <laughs> I'm going to guess between five to 10. And, and yeah. I'll, I'll guess 20. It was 10. 10. Good uh, job. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. Yep. Of so 102. Out of 102, so less than 10% of what you are reading when it comes to supplements, if you just Google something, 10% or less is going to be from a reputable source. I'm not saying whether it's true, false, or anything else. I'm just looking at reputable sources here. That so. is crazy. No wonder we, we goof up our horses so much. Yeah, you know, I mean, when we have this constantly in front of our face, either social media or Internet, and, you know, it's crazy. And then you have articles written that have links to where to buy these products. Exactly. You know, <laughs> that's always a warning to me that hey, this person is writing this blog or this article because they want to sell products mm -hmm. and they're probably getting a little bit of a percentage mm -hmm. to be able to put that link in there or an affiliate fee or whatever so right. that's even harder to ignore when you're just trying to do what's best for your horse exactly 
you know. And, and I navigating this misinformation highway is getting more difficult all the time because I think a lot of the people that are trying to sell something are are getting better at it. Yeah. It's so subtle because they come off as really number one, having an extreme amount of knowledge about their chosen topic. And number two, they come off as really caring about you and your horse. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for people. As you said, emotions play a big part. Right. And the bologna sandwich. Um, (laughs) I'm just scrolling through right now. Okay. And I got off my, my Google nutrition one. And now I'm on um, the misinformation about athletic boots and bandages and stuff. And we're not going to get into the essentials of that, but basically Um, When you look at all of the different websites associated with that, they'll always start with the either the physiology of exercise and and how wonderful the horse is and what an amazing athlete they are. And they'll usually end with the various problems that you can end up with, maybe that's related to each type of athletic activity we have with horses. But wedged there in the middle is all that, oh, and I have something that's going to fix your problem. (laughs) And it comes in various colors. Exactly. And you can color match with your outfit. And and when you actually delve into the science of this, those boots and bandages and everything just to cut to the chase um, can be far more destructive than they are helpful. There is just, you look at the physics behind the way that the horse's lower leg is constructed and the way it's designed to absorb concussion. And there's really no way short of an almost rigid cast that you can put on a horse's lower leg in order to support it and keep it from um, dorsiflecting, from flexing and absorbing weight. That's what horse's legs are designed to do. And when you start adding those um, sports boots that are relatively rigid, they add or build up so much heat that the science has now found that the heat that is built up underneath them, even if you take them right off after the exercise, during the exercise, will destroy tendon fibers. So we're making it worse instead of better. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And sometimes horses do better letting nature take care of them versus nurture, you know? So I know my racehorses always do better when I turn them out and just let, let them learn to be a horse again with the herd. Absolutely. You know, heal up and fetlocks tend to get cool again and, and just a little time off and being a horse works wonders. It's amazing. We can't (laughs) bubble wrap our horses. No, no. (laughs) So what else? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're just listening. This is I'm fascinated. (laughs) I I think we've gone way over time. (laughs) Well, if you have another category you want to bring in. Let's see. Let me just randomly scroll here and see what we've got. Um, You guys seem to be most interested in nutritional stuff ah oh 
here's one, a big one. Um, ulcers. Oh. You hear about horse ulcers all the time. And, and mm -hmm. it's true. The vast majority of domesticated horses have ulcers of some sort. And it really has to do with the way that their stomach is constructed, but also with the management um, that humans impose upon that. Uh, the fact that we don't feed them as trickle feeders. And it really has to do with the amount of chewing time they have so that they deliver more saliva and saliva has bicarbonate. So it's a natural buffer. So you have to give them adequate amounts of things to be chewing constantly. You think of a horse in a stall or even in a dry lot or something like that. We're, we're not doing that terribly well. Um, and then also one of the things that has been discovered relatively recently, and they wondered why so many race and heavy performance horses have such a huge incidence of ulcers. Between 70 and 95% of them have ulcers. And one of the contributing factors is actually exercise. Horses didn't evolve to be constantly galloping. They would gallop away from predators and then they stop and they eat and they walk and they eat a little bit more. And when they gallop, the action of doing that, they have to contract their abdominal muscles. And when they contract their abdominal muscles, they actually squeeze hydrochloric acid, which is produced in the bottom part of their stomach, up to the top part of their stomach where it does not belong and it can create ulcers. So by virtue of exercising our horses, we actually can create an environment for ulcers. So at least we understand a little bit about how we're creating this situation, how to, to alleviate it is another thing. Um, and we tend to go for medicines, you know, um, the proton pump inhibitors, the omeprazole, that gets really expensive. And some horses are mm -hmm. on it almost for life. And in humans, actually, you get a rebound acidity when you get off of that stuff. It's, it's not good stuff. If you can use food as medicine, like I said, you've got long-stemmed hay. You give them alfalfa in particular stimulated more chewing and more salivation than grass hay does. And you just keep it in front of them all the time even when they're exercising, if they can have a little bit of gut fill, it is better for their stomach. And you so, know, so often when a horse races on Lasix, and most of them do today in today's racing world in this country, mm -hmm. they pull water and hay away from the horse for four hours before race time. And, um, you know, I know a lot of trainers are now rethinking that and they're allowing the horse to have their hay nets and to mm -hmm. have the hay um, because then that saliva will buffer that gastric acid for when they do. And I, I saw a study where when they left the starting gate, that propulsion definitely throws that hydrochloric acid up into the, the uh, stomach that it isn't mm -hmm. designed to have. And I thought, oh, my God, we always pulled hay and water back back in the 90s and 2000s. Mm -hmm. 
you did that because that's what they told you to do. And uh, so many of them, um, you know, that really um, harmed them in a way. And it's not going to make a difference, that extra poundage in the way they run. You know, mm -hmm. they didn't want them drinking water because of the Lasix being a diuretic but uh -huh. they didn't want a meeting hay because it would add pounds <laughs> so you know more to carry but they can they can handle that mm -hmm. you know? and that that brings up the idea of tradition yeah you know um, yep. tradition is a big motivator in the horse industry particularly if you are into horses because you're a horse family and you learned horsemanship from your parents who learned it from their parents and all of those traditions are are passed on so yeah. I can't tell you how many horse people I've spoken to and I would try to diplomatically question some of their management practices and they would say well it was good enough for grandpa you know, so it's good enough for me. I thought, well, I've just lost this conversation because no matter what I have to say as far as the science behind it, they're not going to listen to me. Again, we're back to confirmation bias there. But um, one of my favorite quotes, and it's an anonymous author, is this stable is a place of hoary tradition, often in danger of intellectual stagnation. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one it's so true so yeah uh, overcoming those biases that have to do with the traditions of horsemanship too are are really hard to do yep and sherry do you know anything about a beat pulp because so many times on facebook i see the posting that says beet pulp roots have some kind of poison in them and don't feed your horse beet pulp if you're in the United States. And I have searched and searched in different, um, like Science Direct and, um, you know, animals, and mm -hmm. there is not any research out there on the roots of beet pulp and the poisons that are in there. Have you ever heard of that? I have never heard of it. Um, yeah, that's another, I, I'm writing it down right now, but <laughs> beet pulp isn't made from the roots anyway. I mean, you yeah. harvest the sugar beet. The sugar beet is made into sugar for human consumption, and it's the cast off that process that are fed to horses. So it, it is so far removed from having the roots sure. attached that you wouldn't have to worry about it anyway. When I see that come up on my feed again, I'm going to share it with you. Oh, please do. I have, that's one fallacy. And I think it is a fallacy that um, it, I cannot prove it yes or no. But anyway, I'll definitely um, share that. And I'll even look in my feed to see if I can find it again. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I, I did create back when I was teaching a, a pamphlet of toxic foods for horses. Um, and there's amazing variety of them. And beet pulp and beet pulp root never, ever came into the picture. I've never heard of it before. Yeah. So. I've always liked beet pulp because for fat little ponies, sometimes mm -hmm. it's the perfect filler. And then uh, one of our nutrition classes uh, showed how an improved horse microbiomes, and it's always good as a forage type 
mm-hmm. um, supplement. Plus it gets them to drink more water in the winter and, and things like that, as long as you prepare it properly. And when that came across, it really struck me as I have never, ever heard of that. And then when I went to research it, nothing. So um, I'll definitely look into that and try and find that posting and share it with you. Okay. So okay. general rule of thumb is if you look at legitimate scientific sources for a topic and you can't find anything, probably what you're reading is not true. Yeah. And they were probably going to sell me something else to feed instead. (laughs) (laughs) Ground up cardboard boxes or something. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Sherry, you piqued my interest with that toxic feeds uh, for horses. Can you give us like three of those or do you have that list readily available? Uh, I would have to look in the bowels of my computer and it's like pages and pages and pages of them. Um, The ones that come to mind automatically would be um, red maple. Oh, doesn't take much eating uh, red maple leaves that have blown off a tree that is nearby to a pasture. Luckily, most horses are intuitively smart enough not to eat most of this toxic stuff. Um, it's a black nothing. walnut. We all know about yeah. black walnut, but that's just even topically if they're standing on black walnut shavings and things like that. The, there's just a whole plethora of things that you wouldn't even think about. Um, I have your email address. I'll actually send you a copy of that, oh, great. that pamphlet that I made. Maybe we can share that too with our listeners. Um, I, I think acorns might be on there. Yes. Yeah. Acorns yeah. are on there. Yeah. So, but anyway, how interesting. I know I personally don't like my horses eating the corn husk that blows from a harvested cornfield. So I'm probably one of the few horse owners that I go out there and pick them up or rake them up so that my fat little pony won't (laughs) consume them all. You know, the thoroughbreds, no interest in them. The Welsh pony, she thinks it's there for her to eat. And I just think as those get, you know, I just don't think they're they're uh, something that a pony that has a weight problem should be looking forward to every fall. So uh, <laughs> I may have to pay the farmer to plant soybeans. You know? <laughs> so um, is there anything else, Sherry, that you would want to add? This has been such a great episode. Um. My brain is full right now. It's the okay. afternoon. <laughs> but um, I was um, just going to mention that. Do you find that? I think I'm wondering again if this is just my experience. So it's a biased view on it. But I feel like horse owners are really hungry for information. Yes. Um, and I think it's because, I mean, there's many factors, but probably the cost of owning horses, people take it a bit more seriously. But I overall find that they're so hungry to consume information about horses. That's how they kind of find themselves in the depths of these, you know, Facebook groups or groups where um, tidbits are shared that are anecdotal and aren't factually based. Where would you say like for a new horse owner is a good place to start? Um, If they're looking for 
actual curated, scientifically fact-checked information, if there is one, let us say, magazine subscription that I would recommend that they get, it would be Equus. They, they check their facts pretty well. Uh, most of their articles are well-written. Sometimes you can see a few emotionally charged words and phrases in there that drive readership. But all in all, that is probably one of the sources I would go to first um, as far as lay publications go. Um, as far as, as actual factual equine science type of publication books, my goodness, you get books the problem in equine science nowadays, back when I started, they would have textbooks that covered the gamut of equine science. And now it seems like you have to buy a book for every particular subject. Yeah. And, yeah. and that can get pricey. And uh, it's difficult to find the ones that are best in any particular genre. And by the time you write a textbook, especially a scientific textbook, a lot of the information by the time it gets published is out of date. Yeah. 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 So that's one of the issues as well. That's Although true. I will say, having said all that, I'm in the process of writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your book is, is going to be along these lines of Mythbusters, correct? Yes. Yep. That's really what this science nerd likes to do. Oh my God! When this... It's been absolutely fascinating, though. I, I mean, I could have talked for easily three or four more hours about this. Well, and Sherry, you have to keep us updated on your book. We'll definitely have you back to discuss it. Put a link to your book on our homepage as well. So be sure to keep us posted on that. Well, thank you, and call me back anytime. We can pick a different topic and. And chew the fat again. Well, you know, we'll do that for sure since you offered it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And um, thank you for coming on. And uh, if we get any specific questions from listeners, I'll be sure to forward them on to you. And then we'll read your answer on one of our episodes. Absolutely. I would be happy to answer any of those. And I hope you ladies have a wonderful magical holiday season well same to you and thank you so much you're welcome thanks sherry (laughs) bye-bye bye-bye bye take care